Thank you, worship team. Hey, it's good to be with you on this Sunday and uh, enjoy this worship experience with you. It's really neat to see how people are starting to make their way back to the church worship experience. So thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, we just sang about the wonderful name of Jesus, and that sort of naturally leads us into the series that we'll be in as we approach Good Friday and Easter coming up, just for three weekends, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, you, you know, the Bible is a, a thick book, and, uh, but it's really just one story. It's made up of many little stories and some longer stories, but all of those shorter and longer stories um, uh, add to or, or make up that one greater story, the God storyline, the meta-narrative of God reclaiming creation uh, after the fallout of sin. We'll get into that. Um, maybe you know this, but the, the, the Bible is 66 books, and 27 of those books are in the New Testament, and that's roughly the last third of the Bible. And of course, the New Testament is about the, the coming of Jesus and the life and teaching of Jesus, the, the birth of the church by the Holy Spirit, the spread of the church, and, and the promise of one day Jesus coming again and reigning, new heaven, new earth. Preceded by the Old Testament, 39 books, roughly two-thirds of the Bible, and that's made up of historical uh, books and uh, poetical books and wisdom literature and prophetic literature, and all of those pages in the Old Testament point to uh, the one-day coming of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus is not mentioned in the Old Testament. We as Christians, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is known by different names and in different ways. And one day the Son would take on human flesh and be born to a virgin named Mary, and his name would become Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. And so, uh, boy, there's a, there's a lot in the Old Testament about Jesus we only have three weekends, so this is what we're going to do. Next weekend, we're going to talk about Jesus as he relates to the law in the Old Testament. The weekend after that, as we get very close to Good Friday and Easter, we'll talk about Jesus in the prophetic literature, the prophecies. But today, what we want to do is start at the very beginning of the Bible and look at the life, focus in on the life of Abraham and how he relates to Jesus. All right? That's what we're going to do. Before we get there, I want to ask you a question. What is your business? Um, there's a man by the name of Peter Drucker. Some of you may know his name. He's a writer, author, consultant to businesses and corporations. And he likes to sit and ask CEOs and owners of businesses, presidents of businesses, what is your business? Every corporation, every business should know. What is our business? And so I ask you, as a, as a church, as a local church, what is our business? And there are different ways to answer that, I suppose, but I want to answer it in just a very general way, three words, and the first one is that we are to worship. Um, that's what we've done here today. We gather together to remind ourselves of what is true through singing and listening to God's Word. Um, corporately and individually, we can worship. We ascribe worth to God. But a second word would be community, and that's important because in community is where we really get to know one another. As a church becomes larger, it's important that we gather in smaller communities because that's where we really learn how to love one another and help each other grow in Christ-likeness. So we have worship community. I'm going through these quickly. But the third one is this idea of mission. And what by mission I mean outreach, uh, being externally focused, thinking about people outside our walls, being concerned about people outside our walls, nearby 
and far away in showing the love of God and telling about the love of God through Christ. Why would we be concerned about mission? And it's this, because God himself is on mission. Really, that's the whole story of the Bible. God on mission to reclaim all of creation, redeem mankind, and bring it back to himself. That's the, and, and so God, who is on mission, he invites the church to be on mission with him. We'll come back to that idea in just a little while. Um, so as we approach the idea of Abraham and, and, and come back to this idea of mission, I want to actually take us back to the very beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where everything is really good. <laughs> I mean, God, we're told, creates everything, including Adam and Eve, and everything is very good between them, and everything is very good between them and God. Perfect relationships all around. And then you come to chapter 3, and now there's a problem because sin enters the world. And a, as a result of this sin, a curse falls upon all of creation, and mankind is separated from God. And we know the fallout of that because every one of us is born in this world with this propensity to sin. We feel it every day to walk out from under God's leadership. That's what Adam and Eve did. It's like Adam and Eve drove the bus of humanity off the cliff, and we feel the fallout today. We're all the same. But right in the middle of chapter 3, something very interesting, a promise God makes, it goes like this. And I, God speaking, will put enmity between you, that's Satan or the evil one, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot there we could take time to unpack, but just let me summarize it real briefly. That one day, uh, someone is going to come who will deal a death blow to our enemy, to Satan, the evil one who will deal a death blow to sin and death itself, and who will one day make all things right. That's a promise from chapter 3. But you got to wonder, like considering the chapters that are to follow, you wonder if God is going to keep his promise. Because you come to chapter 4, and it says that sin was, was crouching at the door of Cain. Cain and Abel were brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. Cain kills Abel. That's pretty bad. How much worse can it get? It's pretty bad. It's so bad that in chapter uh, 6, we, uh, we begin to see God uh, just grieving over the sin of mankind. He sends a flood of judgment in a real flood. God promises never to do that again. You think, boy, how bad can things get? And then you get to chapter 7, and things become a real mess. Noah gets drunk. One of his sons uh, shows signs of perversion. Um, the, the, uh, the, the number of years that people live seems to decrease as sin keeps a, gets a grip on the world. And then you come to chapter 11, and it's like all-out mutiny, you know? I mean, originally God told mankind to fill the earth, to spread throughout the earth, and take the glory of God throughout the earth. And at the time, there was just one language. But we're told in chapter 11 that the, the people decided to gather all in one place, and build a city. And then, and then they built a tower. They built a tower in homage to themselves, to make a name for themselves, rather than make a name for God, to glorify themselves rather than glorify God. And, and as a result, God comes down and confuses their language. And all of a sudden, now there's all these different languages, and as a result, they spread out, through, they, they're dispersed. They spread out through the earth. Do you know since that time, up to this day, <laughs> Around the world, there are more than 17,000 different people groups, different ethno-linguistic groups marked by different languages and different customs and so on, spread throughout the earth. Now, 
I'll come back to that 17,000 in a little while. But be, between chapter 3, when sin enters, and, and chapter 11, um, th there is like no moral progress. There is, there is no sense of honoring God. It just seems like all-out rebellion. And you have to wonder, even though God made a promise, what is, what is God going to do? Uh, and I, I would ask you, if you were God, what would you do? Or if I were God, what would I do? I think I would, I would, tempt, I would be tempted to say, you know, this whole creation thing didn't work out that well. <laughs> this whole cosmic experience, experience with people really didn't work out that well. Let's just go to another, let's discard what we did, and let's go and do it again on another planet. And all the angels say, yeah, that's a good idea. But God is the ultimate promise keeper. Last weekend, I performed a wedding ceremony. I love it when two people just stand together and they face each other and they, they say their vows to each other. They, they give their oath. They give their pledge. They give their promise to one another. That's at one level. But God is the ultimate promise keeper. Do you remember the promise he made? Will God keep his promise or not to make all things right again? And this is where we see Abraham out of the picture. Chapter 12. This is how it goes. The Lord had said to Abram, and later on he's called Abraham. We'll just call him Abraham from here on out. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will give you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, there's a lot there. I just want to leave it on the screen for a few moments and make a few observations. First, Abraham and his family lived in a city called Ur, which is a modern-day Iraq. And that city was known for idolatry. In fact, at one point in Scripture, we're told that Abraham came from a family of idol worshipers. There's no evidence in the Bible anywhere that Abraham was seeking out God. All we know is that God just chose Abraham. And that's the way it works even today. You can say that you were seeking God, but really God first was seeking you and chose you if you were a believer in Christ. So God chooses Abraham, and Abraham chooses to believe God and, and chooses to obey God. And he picks up his family and he moves to modern-day Israel, Canaan, and establishes himself there. And because of his obedience, God blesses Abraham five times. We read the word bless and it's, and it's uh, various forms in this passage. God blessed Abraham uh, 308 times. His name is mentioned in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. Abraham is mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the towers of faith. He would be on the Mount Rushmore of faith. Abraham is the grand patriarch of Judaism. He is the grand patriarch of Christianity. In fact, Muslims would say he's the grand patriarch of Islam. And the greatest blessing that came Abraham's way is found in Genesis chapter 15, where we're told that because of Abraham's faith, he is made right with God. And that's still true today. And it's faith alone by God's grace that we're made right with God. We'll come back to that. So, what we could say is that Abraham was truly blessed. We can call that the top line, the top line. 
He was blessed. He was a top line. But in the passage we just read, there was also a bottom line that sometimes we overlook, but it's critical to the story of Jesus. And the bottom line is in yellow. It says, and you will be a blessing to others. In Hebrew, it's actually a command. You will bless others. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Essentially, what what God is telling Abraham is that you are blessed to be a blessing. It just doesn't stop with you. All generations after you will be blessed. All those family groups around the world, more than 17,000, will be blessed through you, will be beneficiaries of what I do through you. But I'm starting with you. Um, this story continues. In Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 24, the same thing is said to Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing. And then to Abraham's son, Isaac, these words are shared, very similar. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed. There it is again, the promise to bless the nations. And whenever you see the word nations, by the way, that means people group, not borders like we know on our maps. God doesn't see borders. He sees people groups, more than 17,000. And that's to Isaac. But then to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, same thing. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Okay, now what, what, have, we, what have we learned so far? In Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, and a curse falls upon all of creation, and mankind is separated from God. But in Genesis chapter 12, we learn that God chooses one man named Abraham... And God begins to reverse the curse, the process of coming to the point where the the curse will be reversed to redeem all of mankind, to reclaim all of creation to himself and all the people groups of the world, more than 17,000, will be the beneficiaries of that choice. Now, Abraham had a lot of descendants. It's called Israel. He had a lot of descendants. And there's a long time between Abraham until you get to the end of the New Testament, or to the end of the Old Testament, the start of the New Testament. After Abraham comes people like Moses and Joshua and Joseph and Esther, all, all who are sort of pictures of, or, or, or types or, or foretastes of the Savior, the Messiah, who's to come and make all things right. Eventually will come along King David, who has promised a royal throne forever. And a reminder that one day there will be an eternal King of kings and Lord of lords sitting on that throne. Still to come is the wisdom literature. That's Job, and that's some of the Psalms, and that's Proverbs, and Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. A picture of what an embodiment of wisdom would look like as that Savior one day walks the earth. And then you come to the the prophetic scriptures, the prophecies. I think it's like 300 prophecies that that point to the the person of Jesus coming one day. All of those together, leading us, leading us eventually, eventually, eventually to the beginning of the New Testament. And do you know what the first verse in the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament is? It's this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David, 
and Abraham. He's also mentioned in the second verse. Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that all things will be made right one day. And Jesus means the Lord saves. Now, the, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. And periodically in the Gospels, Abraham is mentioned. You can't get away from Abraham because that's where it all started. It's the Apostle Paul who wrote about a third of the New Testament who periodically mentions Abraham as also. But what I'm going to show you are a couple of passages from Galatians, which is Paul's very first letter. And this is one thing he says. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. Gentiles are all the non-Jews, many of us. With the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So when you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. You are made a part of the family of God. You are part of the promise given to Abraham. Paul goes on to say, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Because of your faith in Jesus, you also, just like Abraham, are made right with God. The, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus applies to you, just as it applies to Abraham and all those who came before him. Jesus reversed the curse. And it's by faith that is applied to us. Now, let me, let me, let me close the loop. We started with Genesis chapter 1. Let me take us all the way down to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. And there we see that one day Jesus is going to come again. He's actually going to reign on heaven, in the new heaven and new earth. Right here on this earth, Jesus will reign. And with him will be people of every color, language, tribe. More than 17,000 people groups represented in that setting. You know what's cool? You will be there too. And I will be there too. Why? Because of our faith in Christ. And we have been now woven into the promise that's been given to Abraham. We've been made right with God. That's pretty exciting. We've been blessed. We've been blessed. But here's the thing. Between this day, March 14, and that day, when Jesus comes again, you and I, what's our business? What's our business? Our business is to worship. Our business is to gather together in community. But our business is also mission. One of my favorite authors writes these words. If we are in Christ, and many of us are because of our faith in Jesus, we not only share in the blessings of Abraham, we are commissioned to spread the blessing of Abraham nearby and far away. You and I are blessed to be a blessing. And this is the way it's always been with God's family. Always. With Abraham, he was blessed to be a blessing. Israel, they were blessed to be a blessing. Jesus was blessed and he was a blessing. The church is commissioned to be a blessing because of how it's been blessed. If you are in Christ, you are also to be a blessing. Now, 
There was a day some years ago when I was in a smaller conference, and Billy Graham was one of the, the key speakers. And uh, he was speaking the words of Jesus. He was, he was conveying the heart of Jesus. And these are some of the things he said. He said, come to me and be forgiven, Jesus speaking. Come to me and find life. Come to me and get rest for your souls. That was the invitation of Jesus. Come, come to me, come to me, come to me. But Billy Graham wasn't done. <laughs> Here's another part of this. He went on to say, go into all the world. Go and make disciples of all nations and people groups. Go and be my witnesses everywhere, nearby and far away. And at the end of the talk, Billy Graham, I wish I could talk just like him. He ended up saying, come, go, come, go, come, go. But do you hear it in other words? Come and be blessed. Go and be a blessing. Come and be blessed. Go and be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And you know, your life may not be perfect right now. I mean, things may not be going the way you want them to go right now. But I want to tell you, God's love for you has not been removed one bit. You're in his family. You've been blessed. And because of that, you're called to be a blessing. How do we do that? How, how, do we do, how do we do that? How do we come to Jesus and go? We haven't, for a year, more than a year, because of COVID, we haven't sent a team anywhere. We like sending teams to different parts of the world to, exp to give to give people exposure to other cultures. In July, we're, we're, we're sending a team down to Mexico to work with our partner, Dayspring Outreach Ministries. The people there are in need. They, they, need very, they have practical needs, and they need Jesus. So we're sending a team down there. If that has interest, if, you, if that interests you at all, at, at the Welcome Center on the way, there, there's an information card that will tell you where we're going, when we're going, why we're going, what we're going to be doing, the cost, all of that. Pick it up at the Welcome Center. Let me bring it closer to home. For a year, we have not done curbside carryout. There is food insecurity in our community, and we try to partner with local food banks. Finally, today, some of you had the opportunity to bring in food. We're going to continue that once a month, curbside care. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. Thank you for your help that way. Let me just make it more personal for a moment. Uh, this has been a really hard week for me personally. On Wednesday, uh, five best friends maybe in the world, one of those five passed away due to complications with COVID. Nobody saw that coming because there were no underlying conditions. He got COVID and he died. They had him on all kinds of machines and everything and all of us prayed. We all have more questions than there are answers. His name is John Rasnick, age 64. Just an incredibly successful attorney in the Akron area. In fact, one of the first messages I ever gave here is I talked about the love of Christ and showing the love of Christ. I used him as an example. Our whole family loves John. I love John. He's just an amazing guy. Incredibly successful. But I want to tell you, you know, we would, we would walk through his building. There's the shoeshine guy, and he knows his name. He doesn't just know his name. He knows the guy's story. We walk through somewhere else, and here's a, here's a lady with a serious uh, uh, 
disability. He knows her name. He doesn't know her name. He knows her story. John was a wealthy guy. (laughs) I don't know how much he gave away. He would sit with somebody and just give time and just listen to them and often just give free counsel. (laughs) He used his talents to be on multiple boards, just blessing the community. I know it's politically incorrect to say you don't see color, but he, he, he rubs shoulders with people of every color. And the day that we have the, 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 the large celebration service for him, it could be one of the biggest things in Akron ever because he blessed so many people. He was a brother in Christ. My wife said it best. He honored God and had fun doing it. How did he have fun doing it? He looked for people to bless. And I, I just want to be more like him. I, I know who I am in Christ. I'm in the family of God. That means that I can take the grace I've received and show it to somebody else. I can take the love I've received and show it to somebody else. I can take the forgiveness I've received and forgive somebody else. And I want to ask you, in your circles, in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, If you are in Christ, you have been blessed. Now, I want to ask you, what could you do this week to be a blessing? And maybe it's with time, or maybe it's using your talents, or maybe it's using your treasure. In what way could you show the love of God? And could you possibly even tell them about your personal faith in Jesus so they also could come into the family of God and be blessed and join our effort to bless others? That's what we're called to do. And so between this day... And that day, that's what we're, that's our business. And I can't tell you if you'll be around after tomorrow. (laughs) One thing I learned this past week from my friend John, life is so temporary, it's so brief. But while we have breath, and none of us is exempt, none of us is exempt, who can I bless right around me? You're blessed to be a blessing. We're to be on mission. Because God has invited us to be on mission. Let's pray together. And God, now thank you for uh, the story of Abraham that moves us right up to the person of Jesus who commissioned us as a church, this church, each one of us, to be a blessing to people right around us. Would you help us that way, God? Help us to be that kind of church. That those kind of Christ followers who are known for blessing others. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.